It's 11 minutes before the hour. You're listening to Raven Radio, KCAW Sitka. Today is Friday, October 23, 2020. I'm Erin Fulton with Raven News. Yakutat has reported another case of the coronavirus. The individual took a test on Monday and received a positive test result Thursday. The person does not appear to be connected to another individual who tested positive last week. The origin of the spread is unknown at this time, according to a press release from the Yakutat COVID-19 Incident Command. According to local authorities, 10 people in Yakutat have tested positive for the virus since the first case in late July. Two of those cases are currently active. The Yakutat Community Health Center is continuing to offer free testing. City Administrator John Leach received a satisfactory performance review from the Sitka Assembly when the group met in a special meeting on Tuesday. The former Coast Guard commander has been at the helm since March. He took over for Interim Administrator Hugh Bevan at the beginning of the coronavirus pandemic. In one of his first actions as City Administrator, he declared a local emergency which started the process of securing federal disaster relief funds. Since he's led a working group and the Assembly through distributing the $14 million in CARES Act funds the city received, survived his first municipal budgeting season, and filled several vacant department head positions. Leach's review was held behind closed doors in executive session. When the Assembly reconvened, Mayor Stephen Eisenbeis said all members had positive feedback for Leach, and the group spent some time setting course for the future. Eisenbeis said, quote, The Assembly as a whole believes that we have a strong administrator and we want to do what we can to make sure he is supported in his position. Alaskans spend nearly 60 percent more on energy than the national average, and in some rural communities, that number is much higher. The Kupernov Island village of Cake is trying to bring down the high cost of energy by transitioning to renewables. They've looked at solar, wind, hydro, and now biomass heating, an old technology with a new design. KCAW's Aaron McKinstry reports. When Gary Williams retired after 30 years as executive director of Cake's Tribe, the organized village of Cake, he decided to turn his attention to energy. Cost of energy here is high. So if we can uh, come up with some uh, more affordable energy, it's, it's always a good, a good thing to pursue. He worked on a successful solar project and helped conduct feasibility studies for wind energy. And now he's working to replace the tens of thousands of gallons of non-renewable heating oil used to heat the town school and other large facilities with a renewable and readily available resource, wood. We've got a fuel supply that's literally in our backyard. We're in the middle of the Tongas. So it would reduce the need for imported fuels. And also at the same time as we harvested our local fuels, it would create jobs and put money into our local economy. Burning wood to stay warm is obviously an ancient technology, but the system that Williams and other energy stakeholders in CAKE are hoping to implement is high-tech. Special sensors and multiple chambers mean it burns hot and efficiently. The impact on air quality is the same or less than a system that uses heating oil. It's called a biomass district heating system. Biomass means a lot of things. Clay Good works for the Renewable Energy Alaska Project, or REAP. He's been involved with several of CAKE's renewable energy projects. It can mean food waste or fish waste or anything that's biological, any carbonaceous material that can uh, you know, be utilized for some kind of energy source. In this case, it means wood that's left over from thinning of second-growth forests or from timber operations. And so it's not a big leap to think, well, if... If that's just left there, it's going to be burned. Let's use that material. We'll just grind it up into chips, 
and um, and feed it into our into our industrial boiler here. If Cake's system becomes a reality, it could heat the school, senior center, health center, community center, and other public buildings, and save the community nearly a hundred thousand dollars a year on energy costs. And Cake's not the only place looking into biomass. Dozens of places around the state are already using it. The interior town of Toke also uses their system to produce electricity through steam for their school. Local school district superintendent Scott McManus says it's saved them money and created jobs since they first implemented it a decade ago. Besides just a couple of jobs running the plant, we're able to have counselors now that we didn't have before. And for a while we had a music program. It was because of the funding that we were able to um, save with the school. He admits there were challenges, like finding people knowledgeable enough to work on the technology or convincing community members that it was a good idea. And he says it's not the right fit for everyone. One of the things about renewable and sustainable energy is that it's got to be specific to where you are. You have to look at what's available locally. But Gary Williams thinks it is the right technology for cake. And one more step toward energy independence, energy affordability, and sustainability. Besides making this work for our community today, we want to make sure we leave a good world for our grandchildren, too. Cake was awarded a USDA grant to design their biomass system. They received the design plans back earlier this summer. Now they just have to find the funding to build it. Reporting in Sitka, I'm Erin McKinstry. A lot of people know that it's not a good idea to eat shellfish in the summer, and it's long been thought that eating shellfish this time of year is safer. But that's just not true anymore. Researchers at an environmental lab run by the Sitka Tribe of Alaska have flagged shellfish on several Alaska beaches for high levels of potentially lethal toxins. KTOO's Raja McChesney has this story. Lindsay Pierce is an environmental technician with the Central Council of Clinket and Haida Indian Tribes of Alaska. She's based out of Juneau, and she's the point person for their shellfish program. That means that part of her job is to go out to beaches where people are harvesting shellfish and gather some for testing. And they're looking for a few different kinds. Cockles, butter clams, they collect little necks if they can find them, and they pry blue mussels off of the rocks. Those are something of a super filter, going through several gallons of water a day. Researchers say they can be an early warning sign that there are toxins in an area. And sometimes when she's not working, Pierce heads back out to the beach to collect some for dinner. You can put them in the pan hole and then steam them open. Um, or you can shuck them, you know, pry them open and get the meat out. Um, some people will say that you're supposed to cut the stomach out, but some people also eat it. So it's all on your preference. Um, you can do like a, a buttered garlic sauce. Hungry yet? Pierce isn't. I, I collect them for my family, but I actually, I don't like eating clams. But your family does? Yeah. So Pierce's team collects samples from Point Louisa and Amalga, both beaches in Juneau they know that people are harvesting shellfish from. Other people in town have recommended they test Eagle Beach and Point Bridget too, but Clinket and Haida hasn't added those ones yet. The shellfish samples that Pierce's team collects get sent to a lab operated by the Sitka Tribe of Alaska. It's part of a group called Southeast Alaska Tribal Ocean Research. And that lab tests shellfish for a group of 17 tribes in communities across the Gulf of Alaska. And each uh, tribe has identified a beach or two beaches that they feel that their community members um, go to primarily for subsistence harvesting. That's Naomi Bargman. She runs the lab in Sitka. She says the ultimate goal of the shellfish testing is to help tribes manage their resources. It's a food security issue. 
but they also make the data available to the general public. And right now, they're the only ones doing that. The state only tests commercially harvested shellfish. Despite the regular testing, Bargman and everyone else I talked to for this story make it clear that they are not certifying any beaches as safe. We never say a beach is safe because there's always a risk when consuming wild shellfish. You can't cook or freeze the toxins out. You often can't see the algal blooms that cause them. You can't taste it. And sometimes shellfish from the same spot on the beach will have wildly different levels of toxins. It's basically an invisible killer. Though deaths from paralytic shellfish poisoning in the state are rare. A fatal case in Dutch Harbor this year was the first in a decade. And there are some ways to be safer. First, all commercially harvested shellfish in the state are tested. So you can always just buy them. In fact, that's what the state suggests doing. And if you want to collect them for yourself, you can pay to send samples of your haul to the state's lab or for about 50 bucks to the lab in Sitka. The Sitka tribe of Alaska's lab put out its latest test results on Wednesday. Researchers are warning about toxins in butter clams harvested in Craig, Ketchikan, and Kodiak, and for all species they tested from beaches in Juneau and Huna. In Juneau, I'm Rasha McChesney. The grocer Alaska Commercial Company, also known as AC, has been fined more than $20,000 by the Federal Department of Labor for child labor violations. Investigators from the Federal Wage and Hour Division found that in the AC stores in Alaska, there were 30 workers between the ages of 14 and 15 working outside of the legal amount of hours allowed by the government. Those violations include working more than eight hours a day or more than 40 hours a week during non-school periods. During the school year, that threshold drops. Workers younger than 16 are supposed to work no more than three hours a day or 18 hours a week. In a statement, Wage and Hour Division Director Thomas Silva wrote, quote, Child labor laws exist to strike a balance between providing a meaningful work experience for young people and keeping them safe on the job, ensuring that work does not jeopardize their health, well-being, or educational opportunities. AC Vice President of Operations Walt Pickett says most of the violations came from three stores and involve students working shifts after school. Children under the age of 16 are only allowed to work between 7 a.m. and 7 p.m., in a statement, Pickett wrote, quote, We are confident that it was an unintentional error and have retrained all of our managers on proper labor protocols involving minors. Anchorage-based AC operates 33 grocery stores across Alaska, mostly in more rural communities. Taking a look at the community calendar. All are invited to meet under the O'Connell Bridge and walk together to Harrigan Centennial Hall to drop off completed absentee ballots at noon today. Those who have already voted are encouraged to join the nonpartisan event. No campaigning or candidate-specific campaign gear is allowed within 200 feet of the building. For more information, email eplubin at gmail.com or visit mobilize.us. I'm Erin Fulton, and this has been Raven News. <laughs> This is 